0: It's 4.06 on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah, baby. This week, starring special guest star, Mr. Steve Barden. And the crowd goes wild. And this, work, this week, we are going to talk about structures, common structures, of instrumental cues and instrumentals, which I didn't tell you before the the show, Steve, but uh, we have been having all kinds of tech difficulties and seem to have them more or less ironed out now. Uh, You'll notice I have no background behind me, but we are having all kinds of crazy audio loops and stuff. So thank you everybody in the chat room for your patience. There you are. All right, so you guys can see us. We are broadcasting all is good in who land say hi Excellent. steve <laughs> hi everybody in taxi land all right, 406 I... is the new four o'clock that's right <laughs> um so oh what did i do with my books hang on steve is the author of two amazing books i am tell you, we just spent an hour trying to solve this audio problem. This is the book that we are working from today. And and frankly, I told Steve the other day, I'm a little embarrassed, that I haven't done much to promote um, this book. And uh, it's it's really important, and it is a great follow-up to this book, which I believe that most of you have. If you don't have this already, you should have it. Uh, It's an incredible book that not only explains the musical side of production music, uh, but it explains the business side as well. So I recommend it highly and everybody I know that's read it absolutely loves it. All right. If you, if uh, you don't have it, we can't be friends. That's right. Uh, Steve's got a list of everybody who doesn't have it and he's taken them off his friend list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the plan is today, um, I am going we've got nine cues that are actually in said book and I want to talk about structures because a lot of people just getting started in the production music industry don't really understand that there's a structure to it they think that instrumental music is just taking a song muting the vocal track and then just letting it play (coughs) excuse me which in theory is kind of okay. But then you don't have a lead melody. And so people try and cover the lead melody with a piano or a violin or a flute or something. And it ends up sounding like a Ferranti and Teicher Teicher record or 101 strings. Sounds like elevator music. So let's start out by talking about the big question, which is the difference between an instrumental, which could be three and a half minutes long, maybe three to three and a half, 345, versus an instrumental cue, which is structured for film and television differently than songs, and is typically more like 60 seconds, 90 seconds, maybe as long as two minutes or two minutes and 10 seconds. There's no hard, fast rule, but 90 seconds is kind of the the center point for the length of cues. So can you talk about the differences from your professional perspective as to what the um, difference between a instrumental structure and an instrumental cue structure is.
1: Yeah, so you know, back in the days when we took pop songs and we turned them into Muzak for banks and for elevators and supermarkets, basically we just replaced vocals with violin melodies or saxophone melodies. Um, and that was fine as, as I mean, it, it served a purpose. But in the, the film and television market, when we're talking about production, music, essentially what we're talking about is, in essence, film scoring. Except the difference between film scoring and production music is that in film scoring, the composer is aware of what's going to happen in the scene. They're writing to picture. They know they can convey the emotion or they can, uh, uh, you know, project what emotion they want the audience to feel. Uh, We want to do the exact same thing with production music, except we don't know how our music is going to be used. So we are just, we are writing blindly. And that's why I, I try to get people to understand that when you're writing production music, you're really working with a singular emotion. And the music editor or music supervisor is going to select a piece of music that conveys that specific emotion that they're looking for, and they will... They will marry it to the visuals. So we are film composers, but you know they're putting it together piece by piece. So uh, that's what I've done in this book is I presented some some tracks that um, that I, I have had in uh, you know primarily reality television
0: is is the most common usage for production music. And, but but not limited to reality. It's probably like eighty five percent of the usage is. that a fair guesstimate?
1: yeah i mean it's it's really it's become such an industry now i mean you you know you're seeing production music you know used in documentaries you're seeing it actually used in films right Um, and tv um, commercials
0: which would have never happened 10 years ago
1: yeah yeah exactly so it's it's a huge market but again uh you know we're, we're sticking to a singular emotion and that's really key to this so when we're creating these these production music cues, we really kind of have to follow a, a form. Um, you know, we can't just kind of write willy-nilly, like we're not writing a symphony, okay? <laughs> we're writing a main thematic piece, which we're gonna call the A section. Now, if there are other sections, we're gonna talk about these different forms, but the primary form in production music is ABA, and that means there's the A section, which is the primary thematic material, an optional B section, which is similar but different enough to be distinguishable from the main theme, and then we would return to the A section, which is the primary thematic material. And there are there are all there are variations on that. And then it, it, towards the end, we'll talk about breaking the rules. Okay, you know,
0: and so. There's no law in the industry that says you have to follow a form exactly or how many measures an a the A section would be or how many measures the B section would be or necessarily where the B section would fall. Basically, and correct me if I'm wrong because you're far more expert at this than I am. I'm more of like a, a dude with an opinion versus an actual maker of cues, but A sections to me are like the chorus of a song. It's the hit, it's the meat, it's the red meat. And the B section is a little break away from that that gives the editors the ability to come in with something a little different and then go back into the A section, which is the chorus. Or, you know what? Interesting uh, observation, Um, a B section can either be melodically different, like I've seen people treat it like a bridge of a song where they flip the chord progression rather than G, C, D, maybe it's D, C, G, some variation thereof. Other people will keep the same musical progression, chord progression going, um, but may break it down to just percussion or just percussion in an instrument. Anything that differentiates and gives the editor something new to play with and edit in, is that Kind of a fair synopsis that a- I just a- explained. Absolutely,
1: Yeah, and we're, we're going to listen to different uh, versions of that. Um, the way what you described, though, in, in the song form with really we're starting with the chorus. If, if you were to take an instrumental or a, um, a vocal song and say, oh, I want to make this into a production music cue. OK, well, your A section probably should not be the verse, the opening verse. It should probably start with the chorus because that is your hook. And then if we, you know, jump to a B section, yeah, maybe we, we can choose, we can pick from um, what you wrote for a bridge, if you have a bridge or a verse, you know, um, but, you know, so that it's, there's some s- familiarity with the B section to the A section. You know, so it's not completely, you know, we're not jumping into a, you know, a circus
0: song. (laughs) Think of it as the three monkeys sitting on the tree, uh, you know, with hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. If the middle monkey were an elephant, it would look wrong. So basically the the B section is the middle monkey. It still has to be a monkey, but it could be a monkey with a different colored coat. (laughs) Yeah, that uh, works. Yeah. It's a visualization you should include that in your next book Steve because that was really important what I just said. <laughs> I, I will do that. Uh, thank um, you. Uh, do you want to play one now and, and talk it through? Um, and yeah. while we're me, talking least... it, I, I will I'll let you jump in with that in a second but I have a question for you yeah. which is while we play it through should I uh, show the waveforms so that people can follow that and kind of see
1: the, yeah, why not? Um,
0: give them something to look at while they're well. The developmental arc as well. It's important that yeah. they can see that by looking at the waveform. And what what was it that I just stepped on that you were going to say?
1: Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> Already, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, w- welcome to my age category.
1: <laughs> um, there are 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 three. There are nine tracks. Uh, uh, in, from this book, and there are audio examples online you can, you can listen to. But we're going to probably hear all of them, or, or if not most of them. Um, the last three tracks um, in the, in the book are dramedy tracks, and they really follow this standard ABA format that is so common, and it's a really good way to to set the scene and describe you know what it is we're going for. Now, uh, in all of these. Um, they are a B a now it's actually a a b a a. in other words the the a section is eight bars and we're gonna repeat it uh, with some variation for another eight bars and that's the first a section then there's a B section which is only eight bars and then we go back to the double a section so in other words the first a section is 16 bars. the B section is only eight bars but the last, uh, and then the last A section is also 16 bars. So they don't all always have to be, you know, 8, 8, 8, or 16, 16, 16. You know, it's just, you know, whatever works musically. Um, when you get a, a placement, I mean, honestly, I mean, I looked through a lot of my cues uh, years ago and tried to estimate, you know, what was the average usage on, on, a, on a, tr- uh, a placement? And honestly, it was like 12 seconds. So... That's why, generally, if you get your A section in there, great. If they get far enough along that they're going to get to the B section, well, that's wonderful. Uh, I mean, I think probably the longest placement that I, I ever saw was close to two minutes, but those are so rare. Um, so you want to get you know, the majority of your music done in this A section, all the good stuff. And then the B is just something... Of a, a little bit of variety to change it up so if they do happen to get that far um it just doesn't sound like a loop that's going over and over and over so i thought we would start with track number seven uh it's called at the casino and this is kind of a a, a jazz
0: uh vibe all right and i'm gonna throw up so look for number seven on the waveforms i'm going to show you guys in a moment Okay, number seven at the casino.
1: We added bongos in this next half of the A section. Here's the B. it back to the A, but we still have the bongo going on. And now the strings come up in octave. That's a little bit more tension. And there's the turnaround stinger. Just
0: repeated the last phrase and ended. Okay, so I have a question for you. You were talking about the average use of your music. is about 12 seconds. And I think a lot of people that are very new to doing instrumentals and instrumental cues, they have the misguided belief that the entire piece is going to play behind a scene. But scenes generally aren't that long, or beats, which are edits within the scenes, um, aren't that long. So they could it could be that... My favorite example, Kim Kardashian trying to get the cap off of a gallon of milk, and she can't because her nails are broken or wet or something. And whoever her husband is this year is in the kitchen talking to her. It might be that, uh, and you think I'm trying to make a joke. No, that was just true, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so it might be that the first beat, the camera or the shot, the edit, is on Kim and her hands trying to get that thing off. The next beat might be somebody over in the family room area looking into the kitchen from 20 feet away watching this, and they might cut to a different piece of music um, because the piece of music with her could be frustrating. And the music from 20 feet away, somebody watching this happen, might be a comedic dramedy cue or something else. So that's what he was talking about when he says 12 seconds. It's not like they're going to just let a piece of music run from the beginning to the end. So is that why each section should stand on its own, but if it had to play uh, in its entirety, that there would be a progression and not a linear snorefest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and edit points are also very important. And, you know, edit points are just simply where can an editor cut it and so it could either end or it can start. Now, for it to end, if they want a cue to end, they're going to go to the the stinger, which is the very little bit at the end, and they're going to, you know, connect it to, you know, the whatever else they have the uh, the first eight seconds or something. Um, but if you know, allow them to start at the B section, you know, um, so you don't, in other words, you don't have um, sounds that are ringing over across the bar lines from the previous section to the next section. Make it easier for the editor and that really increases your chance of it being used because if they say oh you know it just starts with a sound coming out of nowhere uh it makes it unusable so try to make make
0: their job easier um is it a true statement we we heard this from uh oh gosh who's the video editor lady that we all adored that i had on stage two or three times at the the Lauren Ostrander? Yeah, Laurel Ostrander. Um, One of the takeaways that she gave us, I think at the 2019 road rally was, she loves when a cue starts out with boom, 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 some sort of drum fill or instrument thing that happens for a second, kind of wakes you up and brings you into the cue. But then the first eight bars, let's say the A section, could be fairly sparse the next eight bars would have more instrumentation doing the same thing, but it saves it from the linear snore fest that I described a couple of minutes ago. Are these things that you think about when you compose that you're, or, or the, these little structure tricks that make a piece of music more desirable to an editor, are they just ingrained in you at this point?
1: Yeah, well, the, the, the technique that she mentioned, that you just mentioned that she told us about was like not only a drum beat, but also like a, a whoosh. It just like It's almost like a, a cymbal roll, where it just goes, and it starts the track. And that's always a, a nice little entrance. Um, that was something I learned from her there. So I, I try to incorporate something like that. Um, depending on the style of music, uh, particularly in uh, dramedy, I, I don't use introductions. I just go straight into the, the melody or whatever the, you know, the A section is. Um, you know it depends on the kind of tunes if I was doing a guitar blues I might do an intro with a you know a turnaround of you know a 541 turnaround you know da 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 and then into the blues so it just depends on the style of music All right uh what do you want to listen to next Well let's let's do one more of the drum ones. let's go to the next track uh, number 8 on the move
0: Okay so which is the purple one second from the bottom on the Thing. Okay.
1: Yeah. So this is just a faster uh, track. Now it's the, the exact same format. It's an AAB, uh, sorry, ABA, a, but the A sections are are twice the length of the B section, and you know, and just listen to how the the orchestration changes, how uh, you know, from section to section, you know, to help it to grow from from the beginning till the end.
0: All right. And follow along the waveform, uh, purple one second from the bottom of the shot. And And
1: from that waveform, I think you could see where
0: the B section starts. Uh Uh-huh, you can. Okay, this is on the move.
1: So you heard some deliberate edit points there between the sections where the music actually stopped and and that worked it doesn't always work you know for just to put in stops like that but
0: musically it worked just fine um i heard a piece the other day somebody was talking about uh, edit points, and, and funny enough, that piece of music that they were playing had, I believe, I'm doing this from memory, uh, had like a, a reverse symbol connecting to a frontways symbol, so it was kind of a, and the symbol went right through the edit point. And I know from my vast number of audio post sessions that I've done that nothing is more frustrating to somebody trying to edit music. Than having a reverb tail that goes through an edit point or unless you have the same reciprocal thing on the other end which you don't always um, but symbols and backward symbols on edit points are, are bad bad news <laughs> just yeah and, and that
1: was the point I was trying to make about you know things carrying over from the end of one section to the next so yeah it just makes it much harder for the editor to, to do that
0: absolutely all right, uh, what do you want to listen to next?
1: Uh, we can move on to another structure. So let's let's look at, at uh, number six, silly Willy. Um, so this starts to follow the same format, the ABA structure. So it's a, it's a double A length and then we jump to a B section. Um, then we go back to the A, but rather than repeating the A, now we're introducing a C section, a third element. Um it, it's a third element because it it is different enough from the other sections, but it's similar enough that it's it's sort of acceptable. so you might think it's like uh, like another an a section that that sort of grew. Um, I mean you l- let's kind of just listen to it and then you can kind of see what I'm
0: talking about. I keep forgetting I've got two laptops going here. Oops. Do that. Here we go. <laughs> Silly Willy number 6.
1: the B section. This is C. This was homage to Hanna-Barbera cartoons.
0: And you know, somebody in the chat room said uh, because the title Silly Willy, it should be about Bill Clinton. I couldn't help but think of sneaking an intern out of the Oval Office and completely out of the <laughs> White House as this piece of music was playing. Sorry, Bill okay. Clinton, but it'd be just too perfect for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh,
0: what, what I did with the C-section
1: that made it different and was kind of important is that there were a lot of stops in it so this is something that that can be used uh, by the editor when the characters are doing something somebody does something dumb there's a pause and one person says are you kidding me and then (laughs) play a little silly music again and then it pauses again and the other person just goes "Ah," you know Th- those type of moments are, are are brilliant and you'll get a lot of use if you can provide those types of, of elements with the
0: stops. Uh, it's interesting that you're talking almost as if this would be treated like score um, in the context that you just explained, but it wouldn't be score. Uh, if anything, though, the video editor, if they have any musical chops at all, might be editing this music to fit the picture. Um, and to some degree, a tiny degree, they may alter how long they stay on a shot or something to make it fit the music. Because this is a particularly good dramedy track, I, I think, just laying a compliment on you and has a ton uh, of potential uses. Um, yeah, so
1: so that C section really is is uh, an element that wouldn't be used that often because there wouldn't be that many possibilities for it. They would primarily use the A section because it has that, that, that goofy bouncy kind of beat and that would be used a lot but the other ones it's like if if they have that opportunity here's the perfect moment and it's within the structure of this entire piece so uh, that could possible a lot of times they they you know they edit the video to the music that they have because if they find something that that works you know a lot of these I think you even said a lot of these editors have a musical background so they get beats they get tempo and they know how to you know cut things to make it fit to
0: the music um, I had a question about that one. Oh, the, the C-section. Uh, is there a goal when you create a C-section? Like, do you have kind of a default, okay, I'm going to create a C-section, therefore I have to do this musically, or is it just whatever you want it to be? I,
1: I try to keep it within the realm with the same vocabulary as the rest of the piece. It, it's just something that, as I was writing it, it just felt like it should be in there. You know, I mean, if they're only going to use 12 seconds of this cue, they'll never get to that. So, I mean, I really haven't lost anything. Um, that's the kind of thing that is, that's more for me, you know. And this is where uh, we'll talk even a little bit more about breaking the rules. You know, and this kind of breaks the rule of this, this or this suggestion of an ABA structure, you know, adding this, this third section that's so different
0: than the rest of it. But it could, it could give you some options. If you had to venture an educated guess, would you say that the majority of cues, not just that you make, but the majority that you've heard and are aware of and that friends compose and that you see getting, well, on TV, you don't know if they're one, one structure or another because you're only seeing, you know, five seconds or 19 seconds or whatever. Is A, A, B, A, A the most common structure for people who are just starting out and, and they don't want to kind of, they want to stick with something tried and true. Should they stick with A A B A A? Is kind of the default structure until they become more competent.
1: Yeah, or just simply A B A, and the, the length of each section is is up to you, really. But yeah, traditionally that's the that's the basic structure that you should aim for. You're right. If you're watching a, a clip of a scene from from a show, and you only hear a part of it, you actually don't know what the structure is of that cue. Unless you can go to the music library and hear it isolated, and, and get an idea of, of what they actually wrote, uh, but in general, I th- you know you're going to improve your odds of placements if you stick to this this basic structure.
0: Um, any other pointers while we're talking about people just starting out? Uh, I know that let's say the average length is approximately ninety seconds. That's uh, you know the the middle of the bell curve, if you will. Um, tempo and the type of cue, type of cue, and the mood dictates the tempo. The tempo is going to dictate how many bars are in an A section before it gets to a B section and such. Um, do you cover stuff like that? in this book, because I know, to be honest, I I learned to read music a zillion years ago when I was like 12 years old, and I can still look at a chart and know where I am as I'm listening to the music, but I I forget what a lot of the notation is. It was intimidating when I looked at the book and saw a lot of score in there. Um, Is this book well-suited for people just starting out, or um, is it for more advanced people because of all the score stuff that's in there for each one of these cues that we're listening to I, I
1: think if you don't read music i i think the each chapter each song describes each section of the music and what's happening in in words in english it describes what is happening and then there's a snippet of a of a bar or two bars uh, that we're talking about and and if you don't read music but if you have an ear you can listen to the accompanying mp3 file and hear it, and you should be able to get sort of a general sense of, of you know what I mean. We've explained to you what what is happening. You know, uh, it's a piano playing da 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 da, and you hear that on the recording. You hear that 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 sound. Um, the score is provided. If you if you hear a sound like if you were if you heard uh, a sound from a passage from a Beethoven symphony, and you wanted to be able to reproduce that. Um, you could either try to transcribe it yourself which you can also do here or go to the score and try to understand what the notes are saying and I you know I think it's reasonable for anybody to try to learn just the the very basics of music notation you know uh, the notes on the lines EGBDF and that's every good boy does fine and the notes in the spaces are FACE and it spells a word Um, you know if you can do that and and just go to a piano pluck out some notes, you know, you should be able to kind of uh, decipher, you know, what I have in the book. But I think that there's enough uh, verbal explanation that, you know, would help somebody understand exactly uh, what is happening.
0: (coughs) I agree. Uh, And I was taught every good boy deserves favor. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's how they did it in Farmville, USA in central Illinois. Every good boy deserves favor. Okay. Uh what do you want to listen to next? Okay, let's um let's move
1: on to um start off with uh number two, Ring of Power. So I wanna talk about uh a format which is only an A section and it repeats over and over and over. And you might think, well that's really boring, that's just a loop. Well, a 12 bar blues is just an A section that repeats over and over and over. Okay. So in this track Ring of Power, it's it's an 8 bar phrase and it's going to start off with just piano and then with each 8 bar phrase that that follows it, we're going to be adding adding additional instrumentation, and the orchestration is going to increase in volume and intensity. Um, oh, I need to pull up this real quick here. So I'll just give you a brief rundown of, of what you're gonna be hearing. So it's gonna start with a piano, playing the first eight bars. On the second eight bars, we're going to introduce a viola playing an ostinato. Just a rhythmic pattern that repeats. The next day section, we're going to, and, and with each section, we, keep, we maintain what we had before that. So we're maintaining the piano and the, vi- the viola. Now we're adding a string pad on top of that. The next day section, we're going to add a violin playing a melody. And we're also going to sneak in some drums in there. The next section, we're going to a- also include some low brass. And then we're going to put in bigger drum hits. The next section, we're going to add the choir. And the section after that, the choir is going to get even bigger. And then we're going to add a French horn playing the melody. And then finally, we're going to end it with a piano
0: And as it diminishes in volume. I'm looking forward to hearing this because it points up an example of something I saw addressed on another YouTube show the other day um, that a gentleman who I respect and think he's a smart guy, uh, apparently nobody ever taught him before. He had talked about um, developmental arc and thought, I think, unless I misunderstood him, that he thought the developmental arc was only executed compositionally Um, and I guess you could make the point that uh, adding extra instrumentation is in fact compositionally, but it's really texturally um, that you can, I'm I'm making the point, uh, and it's not even a counter argument, it's more of an add-on, that you can create a developmental arc and give a piece a sense of forward movement and keep it from sounding too linear and, and boring and repetitive like a loop by simply starting out skinny as far as the, the number of instruments and then adding one in the next four bars or eight bars, adding another, and, and doing exactly what you just described and yet stay on one thing all the way through. So thank you for including that in today's episode. I'm sorry, did you say number two, ring of power? Correct. Okay. Yes. So this will be... Um, the orange waveform and here we go see how
1: small it it starts small and gets louder Uh,
0: where is this ring of power here we go definitely demonstrative of a developmental art in the graphic realm
1: There's the ostinato, if you can hear that.
0: That was a great, great example of uh, my favorite phrase, developmental arc. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote in the book, um,
1: under the usage section, how can this cue be used? Uh, I said, the music is a journey from understated simplicity to unrestrained glory. like those big words. (laughs) Examples might include a montage sequence spanning someone's life, a soldier returning from war, an athlete from training to winning the gold medal. Anything that tells a story. So, I mean, that was, that was what the objective was in writing a piece like this.
0: Um, do you think in terms of mood and emotion and maybe even a title before you start a piece so that you've got a target? Or do you... Uh... Let's say that you're not working on assignment. So somebody hasn't said, I need a triumphant, heroic, orchestral piece. Um, and you actually have the luxury of sitting down and thinking, hmm, what shall I do today that I could then send out to a library that they might want? And you come up with something big and orchestral and heroic. Um some people have told me they start with the title so that they're always aiming at the target as they're writing. Other people will actually take like a little miniature whiteboard or a post-it note and, and write down epic, orchestral, triumphant, victorious, uh, and put that somewhere you know within eyesight as they're writing. Do you do that sort of stuff or do you let yourself wander and see what you come up with?
1: Uh, I, I tried that, that didn't, that approach didn't work for me. So I always start with the title. I always have an intention. I try to visualize a scene, like as if it were a movie. Um, and sometimes it's not a complete scene, it's just like, you know, visuals of, of certain kinds of things happening. Uh, you were asking about how do I figure out a tempo, like in, in Silly Willy, which was a kind of, you know, a comedic cartoonish piece. I pictured a character... Kind of lumbering along, walking. So I tried to write a tempo that fit like somebody walking, and you know, and visualizing something like that in my head. Uh, yeah, using keywords in a mo, you know, that that uh, explains uh, emotions, and those are the things you're going to add in your metadata anyway. Uh, if you can do that ahead of time, that's great. Um, oftentimes, though, I'll I'll try to think of uh, of an emotion, and I don't quite hit it, and then I have to kind of rework my my keywords, uh, but. I always try to visualize, you know, what it is that this would be used for.
0: Cool. Uh, It seems to be working out quite well for you. (laughs) (laughs) And and I wanna mention that Steve is quite accomplished and has substantial credits, has done some scoring on shows, as well as doing instrumental cues that have gone into libraries, gotten placements. But he does have a fairly intense uh, full-time day job, you know, writing code for, um, iOS apps. So while this is far more than a hobby, it's pretty impressive that you've gotten to this level of stuff, number of placements, but this, the quality, um, I think it was silly with silly Willie, the one that had the tuba in it, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I, I just, yeah, very, very good good sounding audio in that uh good samples um great mix everything about it so congrats for a guy that does it part-time you sound (laughs) like somebody that works 20 hours a day yeah well i i don't sleep much (laughs) (laughs) all right what would you like to listen to next
1: well let's continue on this this vein of of a repeated A section. So uh, the next track, number five, uh, "No Mountain Too High." This is a similar type of th- thematic piece. Really, the big difference here is that um, I do introduce a B section at some point in the piece. But it, what it is is really it's it's an A section, but I've modulated up a minor third just to add a little bit more tension to the piece, and then it returns back to the regular piece. But it's it also does the same sort of um, Orchestrally, it adds instruments as it goes and, and you know, tries to grow and, and add more, you know, tension and release. Uh, everything you write is about tension and
0: release, you know, whether it's comedy or or, dra- or dramedy or drama. Uh, and the yeah. same is true for people who write scripts for TV and movies. Uh, they will tell you that, that it's all about tension and release. Yes. I'm not going to talk about what kind of movies those might be, but let's... T- <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look at this. Is number five, which on today's waveform chart is the green one. Well, there are several green ones. One, two, three, four, five. Fifth one down. No mountain too high. Let's have a And again,
1: see. you see how it starts off quiet, and the waveform gets louder and louder until the end.
0: Okay, here we go. Nice piece. Got to ask you the question. I was thinking it, but didn't want to bring it up until we heard it. And a 37. couple What? Your age? Oh, oh no. Oh, I, okay. I was going to guess your question. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the, the modulation. I was going to bring it up before, but I thought I should let people hear it before I bring it up. I've been told that as a rule of thumb, modulations can be a little bit of a kiss of death because it makes it more difficult for editors to chop the piece up because it's got a modulation. Um, I was a little shocked when, when I saw that this had a modulation when I was prepping for the show yesterday. What made you decide to go with that and how often do you do it and is it a little bit of a kiss of death or not? Uh, well, yeah, you don't want to stay
1: there. If you modulate, you want to return to the key. Um you don't want an editor to try to end uh, on that modulated key, because if your stinger is back in the tonic key, they won't match. So it's a little bit risky. Um, you do it because, as we just said, tension and release. It, it, it's a very cinematic thing to do, especially going up a minor third and then returning. Um, it's Again, it's one of those things where the, where the modulation wasn't until like a minute into the tune. So if they ever got that far, um, you know, th- then they would hear it. So I, I, I don't find it too awfully ri- risky. You just don't stay there very long. I, you know, I think I was there for eight bars and then then
0: bailed. And frankly, I've heard a lot of modulations that hit you in the face a lot more than that one did. It was subtle. <clears throat> and within the context of what that piece was all about, subtlety w- was a wise choice, I believe, on your part. It, it was well, there and it think- added ad- added the tension without going, whoa.
1: Yeah, and I say it's cinematic because you hear that kind of modulation all the time without even realizing it. it's just become part of our you know musical vocabulary. Um, whereas in the '70s, if you heard of a Barry Manilow song where every chorus he modulated up a half a step, your your track would never find a home if you did that today. You know, it just you just don't do it. Yep. But. Uh. But, yeah, uh, let me just, you know, go over the, the usage on this. Now, this was in, in three, so it, ha- it was a very lilting waltz. Uh, and it just, it, it, for me, it, it just gives it a lot of motion. Um, and so, as suggested by the title, uh, this would, would cover humans struggling, overcoming insurmount- insurmountable challenges. Uh, the cube builds and builds with a huge payoff, and it could be used in any type of montage where all seems hopeless but finally reaches the goal.
0: Sports. Invention, love, you name it. I love the fact that you think about the bigger picture. Um, A lot of composers live within their own little bubble, and they're so involved in the piece that they don't think about how it could be used. And usability is the name of the game. If you want to make money, if you want library owners to sign your stuff, and if you want music supervisors to pick your stuff from the catalogs, it's all about usability, and it sounds like, I mean, you don't just think of this stuff for the purpose of the book, right? You actually kind of live the life oh, of this course, way. right. These were tracks that I've already, I had already written when I decided to incorporate them into this book. Right. Uh, are these tracks in libraries, or am I uh, going to be able to monetize this show, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I make sure that these are all tracks that I, that I own. Good man. All right. I'm going to make myself about $24.38 then. Yay! <laughs> yeah, for those of you, I get emails from you guys every now and then, how much money do you make on Taxi TV? It, it averages out about $100 a month. We do this for love, not money, trust me. But we really mm-hmm. do do it for love. All right, what do you want to listen to next? Uh, well, it depends. We have tr- time, you think, maybe for one or, or two more tracks? Oh, yeah. We, we've maybe- got a good half hour or more
1: okay well then let's jump into um number four angels and demons okay uh want to give us a little uh precursor speech so this is one of those things where we talked about break breaking the rules where it's not exactly a b a mm. it's a b c which is you know musically it's it's different than a or b but it sounds so similar to the rest of the piece, you you wouldn't really distinguish it as a, a wholly separate piece. Then it goes back to A B. It does another B, and then it ends with a, a D section, a fourth section. But again, they they sound so similar um, that it's just different enough. I changed the chord progression just slightly that technically it's A A B C A B B D. Okay, say that at A B C A B D D. B, B, uh,
0: A, B, C, A, B, B, D. Wow. And how does the D section, what did you do to come up with a D? Cause I'm sure it's based on the A. It's a derivative of the A in some way. It, right? Exactly, yeah. It's just a, a
1: slight modification to the chord progression at the end. And it was just a way to, to end the piece.
0: Wow, that's cool. I, I have not heard many cues with the D. So this is Angels and Demons. Uh, Let's listen for the D. Impressive. Um, a couple people asked about which vocal libraries you use, and those were great-sounding samples.
1: Oh yeah, uh, let's see. the The vocal that was um, from Heavyocity's Gravity Pack called Vocalese. Those were for the phrases. Um, yeah, this was inspired by Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, it wasn't really that melodic. It was it was mostly textural, and it was you know dark and brooding, and um, it's more of an underscore kind of piece. Um, you know, it's just I, I wanted to incorporate something you know a variety of stuff in this in this collection.
0: Um, that's a I like the fact that you talked about. Uh, That it's underscore, and that you didn't use melody so much, but you accomplished the goal of effectuating the mood so well just using textural stuff. Um, Any pointers on how to do that? Because I think most people would rely on melody to tell the story of the mood. Um, how, How do you, what's the process in your head when you're using textures to create mood rather than melody? So
1: I, I learned long ago when doing alt mixes for libraries, when you're delivering your your stems, you know you've got a full mix which has everything the you know the the melody and all the the accompanying background, and then you would also provide a no melody mix. And the reason you do that is so it doesn't interfere with dialogue. And I often found number one, they often use that more than the melody version because it doesn't you know interfere in any way, and also. Typically, it just it just sounded really good. You could I could have probably delivered all my tracks without a melody and just having that that sort of a textural kind of background, even if it were, you know, a a dramedy piece. You know, you don't always need melody. And also, I would tend to overwrite melodies. And then in the editing process, you start taking notes out because it's just you don't
0: need a lot of notes. Uh, Fretman asked specifically which heaviosity vocalies did you use because there are three of them to choose from. It was the original one, the first one. Okay. Um, yeah, really good sounding. Um, you could hear the breath control in a couple of places, yeah. which, which l- lends itself to authenticity, you know. I mean, some people like to take out fret noise on an acoustic guitar. Some people like to edit every breath out. More often than not, I always found when I was still making records that that stuff adds vibe and authenticity to the project so
1: I mean it sounds like a real vocalist which it is it is a real vocalist but it makes it sound like this person came in for a session yeah and and this were, this piece was really designed to be more of like a trailer uh, maybe like the the act one of a trailer
0: yeah it uh, it would have been great in the trailer for the TV show Wednesday that was recently on whatever channel it was on. Um, and clearly, Lord of the Rings inspired, but in a good way. Uh, okay, what's next? Let's listen to it. We've, we've heard
1: this track before on Taxi TV. This is uh, number three, Fairy Tale Romance. So, this was designed to be very Disney esque, and it's A B A C A everything is built around the same chord progression but the the melody and the the instrumentation changes up a bit so it sounds like a lot of different sections but it's really the A section being used over and over with just some bits to to kind of stitch it all together
0: okay this is fairy tale romance Uh, by the way, Steve, I just noticed I cut over to the shot that the audience doesn't see, and I saw you talking over that. We weren't hearing either you or I. Our mics go dead when I pull up the uh, the waveform. So do you want to repeat some of the stuff that you were telling us while it was playing, or were you talking to your wife? Oh, I, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> oh, you weren't? Okay. No, no, no. Oh, Okay. It's like, yeah, honey, I'll be done with this Lasco thing in a little bit. Can you believe he asked me to do another one of these shows? <laughs> no, I, I got some cats I have to feed. Oh, so. uh, okay. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you were giving really profound background information on these while they're playing. And I was like, oh, crap, he's going to have to repeat all this. <laughs> no, oh, I good. Know. Awesome. Uh, that's a, a beautiful piece. And, and that was a great example of how Melody actually uh, completely tells the story. I mean, if all you had was a solo instrument playing that melody, you would know how to feel.
1: Yeah, this one was melody strong. And I, I mean, I, I do have alt versions of it without the melody and it's, you know, makes for a nice bed, uh, but you know, the melody really sells it. And i you know, I'm going for a very specific, I'm looking for a Hallmark movie to put this in,
0: no. where they live happily ever after. Of course they do. Um all right we still have like 20 some minutes left and I do want to do some Q&A with the audience so you mm-hmm. want to, let's do one more um what's your choice
1: Well let's do the first one Beyond the Stars now this one is the um the big breaking of the rules this this is uh in music theory you would call through composed where it just starts at the beginning and goes to the end and nothing repeats it just there's an A section and a B section and a C section and and nothing relates to one another but uh, this was designed to be a a, an ode to Star Trek in in that
0: thematic world I feel like I'm appropriately dressed Yeah, yeah all right let's listen to beyond the stars And this will be the the top waveform in red. and we're back <laughs> that was beautiful um somebody asked earlier if you ever record any acoustic instruments or if all this stuff is sample work uh, whatever it is it's impressive sounding
1: yeah i rarely work with um real musicians it's everything's in the box i mean it's 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 an expense thing you know paying musicians i mean Honestly, a lot of these production music cues over their lifetime, they just, I I would hardly cover the cost of of hiring musicians um, because it's a numbers game, you know, getting a lot of placements, you know, a lot of royalties from that. It it adds up to something, but uh, by itself, you know,
0: this is a pennies game. Um, I think I've probably told you this, but uh, recently deceased, really a very dear friend of mine, a guy named Jim Long, who is arguably uh, the godfather of production music libraries, certainly the godfather of making it into a a huge industry. And he happened to be the first person I met when I moved to Los Angeles. Um, And we remained friends for 30-some years. And uh, as a matter of fact, we honored him uh, on stage at the Road Rally uh, this past year um kind of a posthumous lifetime achievement award and he once said to me it's a penny penny industry but those pennies sure can add up um how how many libraries are you in at this point um
1: i've really cut down on the number of libraries because you know certain libraries work for you and and some of them don't so i've like stopped contributing to some of the smaller libraries um and some libraries know where I've contributed and I haven't really seen a return yet I mean and I know it does take time um, you know but they also haven't you know come back and said hey you know can you do more of this or that Um, you know so I'll just I'll just move on and and try to work with but I I've got a a couple of libraries that probably I get a majority of my work from and and then I'm you know you know working on my own stuff so I'm trying to (laughs) own all the music all the time
0: yeah Not a a bad way to go. Um, You know, if you've... Well, that's a whole other show. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many things. But you also said that some of the smaller libraries, we've got um, some of the small libraries that have been taxi clients for easily a decade, maybe two, um, have hit a lot of home runs for people. So uh, I hope people don't take that comment to mean, oh, I shouldn't sign with a small library. It's all about, does their do their clients need the kind of music you're making? And it's a wise- Well, that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I don't write hip hop, for example, and some of these libraries might do a majority of their work with hip hop music. And so I'm not gonna be the guy for them. You know, my fundamentally
0: I do orchestral music. Uh, Is it harder when you do orchestral, I mean, Most of what we've heard today is not gonna be a a valid contender for a reality show. Um, It would be in a Hallmark show. It would be in a National Geographic with the sun coming up over a glacier and a mama polar bear and her cub playing kind of stuff. It's more grandiose than most reality shows I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, Does it make it harder for you to earn income because you're not doing a lot of like, you know, dramedy hip hop stuff?
1: Yeah, and, and that's a personal choice I made. I mean, I, I, for there was a period where I did tons of dramedy music and made good money from it. Uh, but I've, you know, sort of moving my focus to things that I want to do. And um, I mean, maybe it's because I have a day job and I, you know, I have a steady paycheck, I can afford to do what makes me happy. You know, that's why I'm going to do big orchestral stuff and, and you know, and aim for like the documentaries and, and the Hallmark movies. Uh,
0: a couple people have asked about mastering and I'm curious myself as a retired engineer. Um, it's not like you can use a mastering plugin, kind of hit the same button every time because the nature of what you do. I do you do? Oh my god. I'm floored because I mean, come on, mastering a, a you know, an epic orchestral piece versus doing a dramedy piece uh, that's apples and oranges. Yeah, they're both music and fruit, yeah. but wow. Well,
1: look, every every instrument and every group of instruments is is EQ'd and compressed individually. So the mastering process is the, the culmination of all the busses together. And it's really just like limiting and just adding a little sparkle to it. Uh, but I don't really master. I mean, the idea of mastering to me is is like if you're putting a whole collection together for an album, they should all sort of match sonically. Where I'm doing a, a piece here and a piece there, I can only mix it the best I can mix it. Uh, some publishers will run everything through uh, you know, a master engineer. Uh, you know, it depends how they're uh, how they're publishing their their collections. You know, if it's an album or
0: just one-off pieces. And which software do you do you use to master?
1: Um, there's a Waves um, uh, GW, which is uh, Greg something. Uh, oh, you know what? I, I I can look right now. I've got this thing open. Give me just one second here.
0: Oh, sorry. Greg Wells. Greg Wells, thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> from the boys in the audience, uh, specifically Edmund Redd and uh, Ben Bowman, and Carl Wurzbach. Um, <laughs> no, I don't have him looking at the chat. Uh, only I'm seeing the chat. Um, what else did I oh, have? Sorry. It's it's Greg Wells' Mix-Centric. Okay.
1: Um, um, yeah, and it's basically a compressor, but it adds some sparkle
0: to the mix that I just love. Yeah. I, your stuff sounds amazing. It really does. Um, how many hip-hop tracks did you do before you decided to pursue what you really enjoyed doing? Uh, what did you say? Dramedy cues? Uh, oh, dramedy. Uh, that's what yeah. I meant, sorry. Oh.
1: Oh, a couple of hundred. I, okay. I've done a lot of dramedy. Yeah, yeah. And are no, they no hip
0: hop? Are they still out there being your bread and butter as far as? Income? Oh my God, I'm still making money. These are some of these tracks are ten years old, and I'm still making money on them. Wow. Um, Andre Sapanian wants to know how do you decide on the volume of the drum hits and shots like in your track Ring of Power? That's a good question. I like that.
1: Uh, you know that's like mixing um, trailer music, and there's, boy, there's there's a lot of work to, to to go to make. First of all, to make the drums sound big, and to to compress them but make them pop. Uh, but it's uh, a lot of it's about layering. It's not just one drum. It's many many drums. Um, EQing, compressing. Uh, watch a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we and all? just do a lot of it. It's repetition, you know, doing it over and over and over.
0: Yeah, you know, taste is developed, and that's what it comes down to is your personal taste. I mean, aside from things like that drum is so loud, it's blowing up the computer it's being played on. Um, but it, 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 there's no way... Experience. (laughs) Repetition and experience. Uh, People ask me engineering questions all the time. It's like stuff that I I wouldn't even think about. If I sat down behind an SSL today and started making a record, it would take me a day to get re-familiarized with my workflow maybe in the room. But after that, uh, you don't even think about it. You reach for EQ. You reach for compression. You dial stuff in intuitively because you've done it 10,000 times before you don't have to sit there and think well the tempo of the song is this the drummer's hitting about this hard uh, you just you just know so i'm guessing that well, like, especially with, with big big drums i mean a lot of these big drums
1: there's so much low end frequency stuff that you don't you, you that's not what you're looking for so you know i'll roll off like under under 50 uh, hertz and then and like increase like at, at, the, at the 200 hertz, you know, for the smack. That's all I want is the smack part of it. But you're getting some residual low end. But you don't want it to consume the entire frequency spectrum. You know, you gotta just
0: decide what part of the drum sound are you actually looking for. Somebody, uh, Martin Gravel, suggesting a mastering taxi TV show uh, with you being the star of that episode. Uh, would you be willing to come back and do that where we have you master um, maybe one, you know, like a, a, a dramedy track and an orchestral track? Uh, we'll have to figure out how to get your, you know, using Wirecast, get your screen up on, because obviously we're not going to talk them through without letting them see your DAW, But Yeah, um, it, if we can work that out, then yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Um, time for a couple more questions if anybody has one that I missed. Um, going back, scrolling up. I gotta say, your cats are are on their best behavior. No, I, I don't know if you could. I just heard one meowing right now. Uh, we can't hear him <laughs> no more questions coming in as soon as i go to end the show then we'll get five questions in a row always happens (laughs) um how much compression there you go how much compression do you use for sampled instruments uh for instance strings just enough (laughs) Um, see there you go because you know intuitively
1: what just enough is you know i mean like that's the thing when people ask a question like how much compression it's like there's not just a answer that you can say, you know, you compress this. It's it depends on the instrument. It depends on exactly what they're playing, um, how it has to interact with other instruments. Um, but I will recommend this free plugin called Ott, uh, which does compress quite well and and really adds a lot of bite, especially for things like strings, where you need you need them to poke through, uh,
0: and also for drums as well. Get a really nice bright smack something a lot of people don't know is they will go for fast attack when they're um, compressing drums because it's a very percussive instrument and they figured i want to get it right from the get-go what they don't understand is that and it took me a couple of years of not being happy with the results i was getting till one day maybe somebody told me or i figured it out on my own i remember a long time ago but slow attack Um, is what you want because you want to give the sound a moment to develop that split second Mm -hmm. of development of the full sound before you squish it so remember that it's slow attack fast release or medium fast release is generally a better prescription for compression on drums um let's see now we have a bunch of questions going back uh preferred orchestral sample libraries. Uh, What are those? Uh,
1: Depending on what I'm doing. Um, For like lush orchestral, like for strings, uh, I started using uh, modern scoring strings. For a bulk of my work for strings, I use cinematic studio strings. They work, they're like bread and butter strings. Um, for brass, I've either used Cinebrass or, uh, which was called the Junkie XL brass, the Tom Holkenberg brass. Um, woodwinds, I'm, I'm using a lot of the Cinematic Studio series. Their woodwinds are, are great. Their brass is actually great. Uh, most of the percussion work I've done, it was I use Cineperc. Um, but depending on the style, like if I'm doing trailer music, you know, there's a whole that's a whole subject of, of drum sounds.
0: Uh, Robert uh, else wants to know, do you still use staff pads? Somebody asked this earlier. So it's like asking <laughs> for a friend. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, occasionally I, I,
1: because I've been so busy with trailer stuff, um, it, it doesn't really translate, but like if, for example, um, fairy tale romance I wrote in staff pad, because it's a beautiful way to orchestrate. So if I'm doing that kind of writing, yeah,
0: definitely. Um, what is your compose? This is from Katrina Seifert. Uh, what's your composing workflow with your day job? Uh, for example, a time a day to compose and how many hours, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so since the, the pandemic, I've been able to, to work from home. So that, that cut out three hours of commuting time a day. Um, so I will put in those three hours actually in the morning before I start work Um, And then there are often times where during the day where I'm waiting for somebody to get something done. So I don't really have something to do. So my DAW is open all the time. So even if I have five minutes, I'll be editing a MIDI part or, you know, working on something. So um, I might say I probably average four hours a day composing. And I don't work. After 4.30, I turn everything off and I don't work on anything. What do you do, like feed the cats and brush them? <laughs>
0: uh, feed the cats, feed the humans, and, uh, you know. Really? So up. you you don't work at all on any sort of stuff after 4.30 in the afternoon?
1: I, I try not to uh, occasionally. Like, the I got a call for um, uh, a, a custom for a trailer queue, you know, and those are, you know, rarely can you, you know, win those. Uh, But, yeah, I I ended up working an entire Saturday, you know, to get it done over the weekend. Yeah. Uh,
0: But I try not to work in the evenings. Wow. That's admirable. I'm going to do that in my next life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, I come into the office Monday morning pissed off because I just spent the majority of my weekend working and I feel cheated. But you know what? It's what it takes to make this company run that well. Well,
1: I've just learned to be very efficient at what I do. I've I spent a lot of time learning my software and I you know, I don't want to be spending a lot of time looking for sounds. I know my library, I know what I have, I know what I need, and it's just a matter of, of like knowing you don't have a lot of time, so you have to be efficient.
0: Uh, Mike Evans wants to know, do you use the expression, modulation, and volume automation on your string tracks to make them sound more realistic?
1: Yeah, I don't use volume automation, but I use CC1 and CC11, which is modulation and expression. So typically, they they ride hand in hand. Some libraries are slightly different, but often I'll record uh, modulation, CC1, and then just copy it to CC11,
0: and that, that seems to work out pretty well. For those of us who've never done that and don't know what CC1 and CC11 are, can you give a brief explanation? Uh,
1: yeah, so sample libraries, um, um, they, they have these controls. You can program uh, various MIDI controls. You know, there's like 127, in the original MIDI spec, there was 127 MIDI controls that you can assign to do whatever custom thing. Um, the first one, CC1, is a, and CC stands for continuous controller, um, that's generally divine, uh, defined for uh, expression or often it's it's thought of as volume, depending on the library. Uh, CC11 is, is generally assigned to uh, the expression element. So expression, it's like the way you would blow on an instrument, say like an articulation, like a trumpet, if you blow softly, kind of a mellow tone the harder you blow the more brittle it sounds that's what expression is so as you crank that up and that goes along with volume it gets louder but it gets angrier
0: (laughs) sounds like my first wife sorry I I couldn't pass that up (laughs) we've been divorced for 35 years I just love (laughs) it I just love a good Henny Youngman joke um and the young kids in the room are going Henny who um, all right. One last question, then we're going to wrap up. Uh, what time do you get up in the morning? That's from Rainy e. Bear. Oh, my God. Um, somewhere between five and six. Wow. And you work out for a couple hours, go for a run and come back and shower and sit down and do your real work? no I, I i stare at my ipad and drink coffee <laughs> well this is a form of exercise <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah we've got a couple of machines in the house we've got an elliptical and a, and a uh, uh, treadmill and you know I, I try to get on those you know during the day just so I, I i put on some pandemic weight and i still
0: haven't been able to get it off <laughs> you are not alone my friend um <laughs> for those of you who don't have this book um, obviously, after today's show, I think you're convinced that it could be uh, tremendously helpful in getting you, to per, um, getting you up to speed on how, to, how the structure of production music is done. It's not just, this is what I'm feeling, and lay it all out. There's actually a method to the madness, and this book includes a picture of Steve on the back not holding a black Les Paul. So it shows you I actually do write music on paper. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. But the other book, does this book have it? Yeah. There we go. This shot, I've seen this shot now for like, how long have I known you? 15, 20 years, maybe?
1: That picture is so old. I'm embarrassed.
0: I know. (laughs) But your hair still looks the same, which is a good thing. Yeah. Anyway, also a great book. I I can't imagine any of you watching the show don't have this book, but if you don't, Absolutely. You have to get it. Um, yep. I, I,
1: I, please, please buy the books. I, I need to put my cats through college.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve, your sense of humor is perfectly dry. I love it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, give my best to the cats and Leanne. Thank you Very so much for taking the time to do this and let me drive you mildly crazy over the weekend. Um I honestly don't. I have an idea for a show next week, but I haven't locked it down entirely yet. So I'm not going to tell you what it is because it could change. But with that, I would once again like to thank my friend Steve Barden for doing an amazing job in today's show. We will see you next week. Don't forget, if you haven't given us a like, please do. If you are not a subscriber to the channel, but you like what you saw today and want to see more of this, please hit the subscribe button. I will see you guys in a week. Thanks again, Steve. Bye bye. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> I hit the wrong cue. Woohoo! Imagine Uh-oh. that. <laughs> They're going to revoke my post production license.
1: All right. Well, it seems like that went well.